Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. In the year 33 AD, the Roman governor of Jerusalem, named Pontius Pilate, asked a wrongfully accused prisoner the question, What is truth? That person was Jesus Christ. And he did not answer the question. He remained silent. Why? Because he is the answer. He is the truth. There was nothing he needed to say. We believe that Jesus is the revelation of God. He is truth himself and truth comes from him. He teaches us everything that we need to know. It says in the Gospel of John, in the very beginning of the Gospel, chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life. And this life was the light of the human race, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then it says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the truth. He reveals to us the truth. We know from our previous episodes that we long for this truth. Goodness, beauty, love, belonging as well. And we see that, that is, the fulfillment of those things is outside of ourselves, namely in God. And we know that God wants to be in relationship with us. He has initiated that. We can respond in prayer and we're meant to have faith in that relationship. But the question then becomes, how do we get to know him? And how do we know what it is he wants us to do in this relationship? How do we understand what is true about him and what is not true? What is the truth he has revealed to us? And so first we have to stop and admit there is such thing as truth. There is such thing as objective truth. 
There's not certain things that are all, like everything is not just true for you or true for me. Certain things are always true. Uh, we know that it's wrong to murder people. Cultures from all the way to prehistoric times knew that malicious killing of other human beings was wrong. And we can see that all over. No one had to tell us that. We inherently knew it. And we inherently know that we long for love, belonging, and relationship. No one had to tell us that. We know it innately. And so how do we learn this truth? Well, there's this word that is not very favorable. I mentioned it in the last episode, obedience. But that word comes from the Latin word obedire, which means to listen. How do we listen to God to learn who he is, what he expects of us, and what is true? Well, God reveals to us four different types of truth, or what would we call law. Um, and the first is natural law. We can look around at the world around us and see that certain things are always true. There is gravity. Where did gravity come from? Did it assemble itself randomly after a big bang? Or maybe did God inherently or intentionally design the world to have this law? We can also look at human law. Human law is those things that we innately know, uh, that other people have dignity, that we should not hurt others, that we should care for one another. And then there is divine law. Divine law is what we're talking about in this episode. It is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And lastly, there's eternal law, and that is the truth and the law in its absolute fullness that only God himself in heaven fully knows and understands. But we're talking about that divine law, what we would call revelation. And often we talk about it in two forms in Catholicism, in sacred tradition and sacred scripture. And I'm going to spend a little more time in tradition because it's the one that's often not talked about as frequently and often misunderstood. So what do we mean when we say tradition? Well, we see tradition at work immediately after Jesus rises from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, he meets these two travelers, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he asks them, where are you going? And they say, have you not heard of all the things that have happened and taken place in Jerusalem? And so they begin to have this conversation, and Jesus begins to open up the Hebrew scriptures by word of mouth to show how Jesus, even though they don't know it's him that they're talking to, fulfills all these prophecies in the Old Testament. In fact, there are 353 prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfills. He fulfills every single one so far. All the rest have to do with his second coming. And then Jesus commissions the 12 apostles at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 28, he says to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And so they did just that. First orally and then in writing, they gave their lives to fulfill that mission, to share the truth with other people. They preached the gospel, they called for faith, baptism, they created a community of believers who gathered for the breaking of the bread, what we call communion or the Eucharist, and they practiced generosity to the poor in living out the teachings of Jesus. Those original apostles, those 12 apostles, became the first bishops. And they chose men to succeed them as bishops after them to take their place. And they continued to hand on that mission and authority was given to them by the laying on of hands. That authority was first given to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. 
where Jesus says, you are Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. When you have the keys, you have the authority. You're the one in charge. Pope Francis is the 266th Pope in an unbroken line of authoritative teachers going all the way back to Peter and to Jesus Christ himself. The bishops that are in union with the Pope, they are the successors to the apostles. In fact, every single priest and bishop was ordained by someone who was ordained by someone who was ordained by someone going back and back and back and back who was ordained by one of the original 12 apostles. And for that reason, with that authority comes uh, the truth, the teaching authority to be able to proclaim the truth to the church and to the world. And that group, the Pope and the bishops who are in communion with him, are called the Magisterium. The Magisterium is the sacred teaching authority of the church, uh, where we experience this lived sacred tradition. They hand on and interpret and transmit the revelation of Jesus Christ for our current time. They guide us in trying to live out the, the teachings of Jesus Christ today. That's what they've always done. And this was something that was common in the Hebrew world as well. They relied on oral tradition for hundreds, if not thousands of years to pass on their teachings until they were finally written down. Because written word and paper, those were luxuries for the wealthy and the educated. But the spoken word has always been paramount, and it was part of the Jewish educational system. In fact, memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that was an expectation for all girls and boys from the ages of about five to eight years old in synagogue school. You think you have trouble memorizing and remembering Ten Commandments? Try 613 Jewish laws that appear in those books that they were expected to memorize and then live by. In fact, the Bible itself is a piece of tradition. It was not assembled in its final form that we have now until 350 years after Christ died. And all the different books of the New Testament first started being written down 15 to 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. So how did the teachings of Jesus spread and convert so many people? It was tradition, oral tradition, word of mouth, and the authoritative teaching of the apostles. Public revelation, all of that revelation of truth, we believe, ended with the death of the last apostle, St. John. So we constantly look back to that authoritative teaching because that is what Jesus commanded us to do. That is who he commissioned. That is why we say we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church when we pray the creed. But when we say tradition, we don't mean clinging to old ways of doing things and refusing to adapt with the times. Any reading of church history and the evolution of how uh, pastoral practices, how the faith has been taught, will show you that the church has adapted a ton over the years. What we hold on to, we hold on to because it asserts the authority of Jesus Christ and the first apostles. It points back to what they said and what they did, and it's just as true then as it is today. There are certain things that will never and cannot ever change because they came from the lips of Christ himself. How do we know this? Well, we can look to the Bible, but we can also look to the church fathers. There are individuals who's, uh, who lived in the generations just following, in the few centuries following the life of the apostles. And their writings survive today. They tell us about the church. They tell us about the practice of the sacraments, what it looked like to believe and live in daily life the teachings of Jesus Christ. Some of them are also in a group 
um, that is present in every century throughout the history of the church. And they are called the saints. We have teachings and writings from the saints. They're not all, none of them, um, unless they're the apostles, they're not considered to be church doctrine. Uh, We're not bound to believe and follow what the saints have written. But when we speak of tradition, they have lived in it and through it and among it as examples of how we are meant to live, how to live out the teachings of Jesus Christ in the world. Now, everyone in heaven is technically a saint, but the church has a process for officially recognizing individuals as saints. It's called canonization. And if a person lived a holy life worthy of imitation, their case can be opened to the Vatican and their life will be investigated and we can begin asking for their intercession, meaning we can ask them to pray for us in heaven. And if two miracles that are otherwise unexplainable can be attributed to their intervention, then they are called saints. And I would just encourage you, if you've never done this or not done it in a while, go Google Catholic saints and read their stories. You will unlock a treasure trove of incredibly diverse individuals from nearly every culture and walk of life, nearly every time since Jesus himself. Choose a saint for yourself or for your family who you want to be like. Make them your patron saint. Ask for their prayers on a daily basis. If you're in sacramental preparation, confirmation, RCIA, that's something that you do to be invested with the qualities and character of that saint and ask them to pray for you. We have the richest tapestry of voices speaking the truth throughout our near 2,000 years of tradition and history as a church. And we're still only scratching the surface of what they can teach us as there are over 10,000 canonized saints. C.S. Lewis once said, How monotonously alike all the great tyrants and conquerors have been. How gloriously different are the saints. And though they are all very different, one thing they all had in common was their love of scripture. In fact, St. Jerome said ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And so in sacred scripture is where we also see the revelation of God, the truth that we have been given by God uh, come uh, before us. It is the fruit of church tradition. Now think about this. Do you have a favorite author? Now, would you read all about that author, their life, everything that had ever been written about them, but you would never read their autobiography? Would that make sense? The same is true for the Bible. We can't just read all these things about God or go through the motions of Catholicism, but ignore the Bible. It's how we come to know him. It's God's autobiography. Because though it was written by humans, we believe that every word was inspired by God and contains the truth, that there is no error. That truth might require some context, looking at the original language or the history to really gain an understanding of what is being said, but it is true nonetheless. The word Bible comes from the word Biblia, which means a collection of books. So it is not meant to be read cover to cover, and it's not necessarily assembled chronologically. In fact, it was written from 1200 BC, roughly all the way to about 65 AD, uh, or a little later, 100 AD, over about 1300 years by over 100 different authors written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And so what I would encourage you to do is look at the table of contents in your Bible and just get a feel for how to navigate this. The first five books are called the Pentateuch or the Torah, the sacred text of Judaism, and the whole rest of the Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible. We have the historical books detailing how God chose a people and brought them into uh, the Holy Land. We have little novels of different stories of how God works in people's lives. We have wisdom books, all these beautiful prayers 
um, that people have written, laments, prayers of praise that we can look to and pray with today. And then we have the prophets who were sent at a time of division in the Old Testament before Jesus, proclaiming a Messiah would come, proclaiming truth, asking people to turn from their sinful ways. And then we have the New Testament, the four Gospels that proclaim the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. And then the Acts of the Apostles showing how those first apostles, those first bishops, went out and spread that truth and converted thousands. And then we have the letters of St. Paul and other Catholic letters from those figures in the early church about how to live this life of Christ. And lastly, we have Revelation, a story of victory, a, a symbolic not meant to be interpreted literally, but a symbolic text about uh, God's victory over evil. So look at the table of contents and get familiar for what this collection of books is. And then recognize when we interpret the Bible, we don't interpret it just literally. There, in fact, are two different senses to Scripture. There's the literal sense and the spiritual sense. And so when we read Scripture as Catholics, we first look at what is literally being said, but then we look at the deeper spiritual reality. And the spiritual sense basically asks us to look at this through the lens of faith, hope, and love. Faith, we're looking for allegorical representations. Is this a foreshadowing? Is this a prophecy? Does this symbolize or represent something else? We look at, um, through the lens of love, what does this tell us to do morally about how we're meant to act toward our neighbor? And then we look at it through the lens of hope, which is called the anagogical how does this have to uh, do with our eternal reality, our destiny? How does this help us get to heaven? This is why we need tradition. We need the teaching authority of the church, the magisterium, to help us in our interpretation of scripture. It was translated into English, added punctuation, added chapters and verses. Uh, we have to interpret the emphasis and the meaning of verses. Um, all of that, we need guidance on how to do that. For instance, there are four different words in Greek for love, but they all translate to the one English word for love. And so how do we understand the deeper context? We can't fall into biblical literalism, meaning we fundamentally believe everything just as it says is exactly what we're meant to do today. But we have to look at the original context, language, culture, and the religious dynamic at the time. And we have to avoid reading into scripture our own modern biases and interpretations of certain issues, words, or meanings, but instead read out of scripture the original meaning. An example of this is the phrase, God is slow to anger. The original Hebrew actually says God is long of nose. Because when you get older, your nose and your ears never stop growing. And so if you are older and therefore wiser, that means you're slower to anger because of that feature that you have of being older, one of those being a longer nose. That's where that comes from. If we read that literally in its original language, you and I would have no idea what that meant. But then we can't also do the opposite of literalism and kind of reduce everything to its historical context. We can't just explain everything away as like, oh, that's a primitive people having a misunderstanding of things because they're unscientific. No, God is clearly working throughout salvation history in the words of sacred scripture. There are supernatural events that cannot be so collectively experienced by so many people that they have survived in this capacity. And so ultimately it helps us how to know how to approach the Bible, but even more importantly, how we have a relationship with Jesus. We cannot know Jesus, we cannot have a relationship with God and an understanding of who he is without the Bible. You don't need to be an expert. 
So I encourage you, spend time with scripture. Maybe start with the daily readings. You can look up Catholic daily readings and the first link that comes up will be the readings for Mass that are set every day. There's a cycle of readings for Sundays that repeats every three years. And if you hear those readings for three years, you will have heard about 60% of the Bible. If you go to daily Mass or if you read the daily readings, there's a two-year cycle that operates on the daily readings. And if you do that along with Sundays, you will, after three years, have heard about 90% of the Bible. Spend time with the Word. Lastly, you can do something that's called Lexio Divina, or divine reading, where you repeat a passage over and over again and see what word or phrase stands out, why you think it does, and what God might be compelling you to do. Start with one of the Gospels, Mark is the shortest, or one of the wisdom books like Psalms or Proverbs. Start with just a chapter or a section or even a few verses a day. When you read, you can practice the RAP method, W-R-A-P. W is write. First time, read it. Write what stands out. Second time is R, reflect. Why did that stand out? Read it through again. The third time, A is apply. How does this apply to your life? What is God asking you to do? And then P, pray. Praise and pause. Thank God. Simply be with him and listen for his continued voice and his guidance. Get into the word every week, every day, if you can, and let the Lord speak to you.